So you want to be a professional hockey player. Sounds like a great idea. But what happens in your first NHL game and actually your second game pro when you find yourself face-to-face with one of the scariest dudes to ever lace them up? You want to know? Stay tuned and you'll hear as I bring you Jeff Zare. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on Secord? Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box, episode number 15. I am your host, Joe Lazito. Today, it's my pleasure to bring you the story of Jeff Zare. Uh, Jeff was a former second-round pick of the Islanders, uh, spent two training camps with the team. Uh, Then, unfortunately, things did not work out, but he'll get into that story. Uh, But he's got some really fantastic stories, especially... Uh, story about his first NHL game is something that uh, I can't get enough of. But Jeff is doing some really good things with some of the kids in uh, Ontario with the Plattsville Lakers, formerly the London Lakers. And uh, he's a pretty interesting guy and uh, pretty selfless. And uh, like I said, he's doing some good things up there. Uh, first things first, let's, uh, let's tend to some business. Uh, I want to again thank uh, my friend Joe Marisich, uh, Joe is the creative genius who designed my new logo, which I can't get enough of. I know I may sound like an egomaniac, but I don't think I've ever been as handsome as I am in that logo. Uh, certainly, my beard has never been as tame. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. But uh, Joe is, uh, like I said, an artistic genius. And uh, you can reach Joe on Twitter at GraphicsJoker, G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R. Or you can reach him at loudegg.com. Uh, I'm going to promote Joe till the cows come home uh, because that's just uh, what I feel is the what I need to do. Joe's a great guy. He did that for me. I'm going to help him out. And uh, just check out his Twitter feed because he has some uh, really great artwork, especially if you're an Islanders fan, a Mets fan, a Jets fan. Um, stuff's amazing. You've seen it already. You know you have. So uh, check it out, though. Hit Joe up if you need anything done. Um, also, as far as uh, other podcasts go, uh, the return of Fourth Line Voice on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, he's done uh, two episodes. One was his reintroduction episode. And then uh, I believe today or yesterday, uh, they released uh, one from the archives, which I think was John Moresti. Uh, again, my old man memory might be betraying me, but uh, 
But Darren is back. Definitely uh, check out his show on the Hockey Podcast Network. It's the same network that uh, has Terry Ryan's Tales with TR. And, uh, you know, like I said, they're uh, building quite a stable over there. So definitely check out Darren's show and TR while you're at it. And um, if you like any of the other shows, obviously uh, check those out too. Uh, also check out, uh, Alex podcast five for fighting. Uh, Alec is, uh, like I said, he's hitting it out of the park recently. He had Rob Ray on, uh, that was a good one. Uh, he just had Chris Nyland on, which hasn't been released yet, but I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I want to see how much he fanboys out on that since, uh, Knuckles is his favorite player of all time. Uh, and like I keep saying, and I can't say it enough, uh, go back into his archives and, uh, listen to the Pat Barton ep- episode, uh, to me, that still is gold standard, even though he has guys like Rob Ray and uh, Chris Nyland on the Barton episode is uh, is tremendous. Um, and also check out uh, Bobby Longgrass Bucket Drop podcast. Uh, like I said last week, he's uh, slowed up a bit with the birth of his uh, new child, but I anticipate him getting uh, getting back at it right away. So uh, I won't go on too long uh, about uh, any sort of introduction here. Uh, I will say um, happy birthday to my lovely wife. Uh, Her birthday was May 1st, and um, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of birthdays with her, even though she really is only 27. Um, You know, she's my beautiful bride, and uh, I want to wish her a happy birthday. And uh, also uh, coming up this Sunday, happy Mother's Day to to my wife, to my mom, to my stepmom, to my mother-in-law, to my sister, to my sister-in-law, to all the moms out there. Uh, the moms of the world are the unsung heroes. They're the backbones of all the families. Um, uh, the most selfish thing that I think you can do is be a mother in today's world. I mean, the sacrifices you have to make um, really from 10 months beforehand, you know, carrying the baby and giving birth to the baby and all that other stuff. If, if you're someone who has kids and you've seen your girl go through what they've been through, I mean, it's true. If we had to give birth, I don't think there would be any population. But uh, I have a, a strong respect for moms in this world. Um, and, uh, you know, Mother's Day is pretty special to me. I'm fortunate enough. I still have all these great moms in my life. Uh, and like I said, uh, happy Mother's Day to every uh, every mom out there. Um, you know, there's not enough credit to go around for the jobs that you do. Um, other than that, um, you know, I don't really want to go on too much about anything else. Oh, hold on. There is something I want to go on about that I remembered. Um, so there is, uh, I guess I, I'm a stickler for certain things. For instance, uh, so one of the things I wanted to do when, uh, I did this podcast was, uh, the thing I take the most pride in is my research and, um, I, I takes hours and hours and hours of research uh, for my interviews. And that doesn't make me better or worse. It's just the way I am because I'd like to be as prepared as possible uh, for someone like the Mick Vakoda interview where I have so much footage and there's so much stuff I want to go through. Uh, that's going to take uh, longer than a lot of the other ones, but it's enjoyable research. It's, it's just something you have to dive into. You have to know your subject. Um, you just, you don't want to sound unprepared and uh and for me i'm not a perfectionist in a lot of things but uh when i'm talking to a person i definitely want to make sure i get it right um in my spare time i've i've started to go down the rabbit hole of some uh youtube uh people and um there was this one youtube uh person who 
the the feature they do features on certain things and i don't really want to give anything away because i don't want to embarrass them uh because i think they're young and um you know the the production value was exquisite the way they edited the footage um everything was fantastic so um but the one thing that drove me crazy is if you're going to do something can you at least do the research and uh for for everybody out there if you're doing anything on the islanders the county is nassau county it's nassau county nassau county long island not nassau not anything resembling nassau it's nassau county so maybe because I've been a Nassau County resident for a lot of my life and I'm a Nassau County resident now and I'm an Islanders fan, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and I don't know if you could you could hear my eye roll, but I just did it. Um, and it's just, it usually is stupid things like that that uh, get me like ticked off. But, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, important stuff generally I let roll off my back, but it's dumb shit like that that usually makes me, you know, roll my eyes and shake my head. So, uh so I guess all I ask is, and again, I'm not, I'm not any standard for you to go by. Okay, I'm not sitting here saying I'm a professional. I'm this. I'm that. I'm not. I'm just an average guy sitting at his computer, his old laptop with his gamer headset and his mouse, recording. Uh, you know, who who the hell knows? Third rate podcast. I don't know whatever you want to say. So I'm not pumping my own tires here because I'm just a guy having fun talking to guys I respect. And uh, hopefully, you know, bringing you stories that you want to hear. But please, especially if you have a following. And this person had tens of thousands of subscribers that blew my mind. Um, simple things. It, it, it's a click away to find out. So, uh, so that's my soapbox. I don't know if I sounded like a douche there. It's really not my goal, but I may have. But uh, really, it's just if you have any sort of following, please Get your facts straight. Get the county straight. Get the city straight. Names are different. You may not have access to that stuff, but I mean, geography, it's all simple stuff. So just please, please, you know, go the extra mile and get that right. So again, I don't know if I sound like a douche. Uh, please don't use my show as any sort of standard because obviously the guests are first class and the host is uh, questionable at best. But anyway, I've taken up enough of your time again. Happy birthday to my wife. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And without further ado, I bring you Jeff Zare. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles. Today, it is with great pleasure that I introduce you to Jeff Zare. Jeff was a draft pick of the Islanders, second round pick. Uh, and he's coming to us uh, from Ontario today where uh, he's got a uh, lot of irons in the fires up there. And uh, helping out a lot of kids and everything, but today we're going to talk about uh, Jeff's career. Jeff, welcome to the penalty box. Awesome! Thanks for uh, having me, Joe. Oh, uh, thanks for doing this, man. I'm I'm really excited about this, and uh, I have a lot of questions, especially uh, once we get to your Islander time, uh, because I I'm just really curious about something. But we'll get to that. So, my first question for all my guests is. Um, if I were to have a time machine and I went to Woodstock, Ontario when you were a kid and I found a pond and you were playing on it, who were you? In other words, when I was a kid playing street hockey, I was always Clark Gillies or I was Bob Nystrom. Uh, who would a young Jeff Zare be on the pond as a kid? I think uh, as I grew grew up through minor hockey system and all that kind of stuff, uh, uh, Mario Lemieux was definite, definitely my uh, my um, 
role model and who I looked up to um, whenever I could watch him on TV and obviously he was on highlights all the time um, the guy was just so big and so gifted um, when I would skate on uh, backyard rinks and ponds and in minor hockey I just I wanted to score at will like he used to yeah that's not a bad guy to, uh, to look up to <laughs> yeah no it's uh, Lemieux for sure obviously as I got uh into more uh, physical and demanding hockey, it, it, it may have changed, but um, you know, as a kid on a pond, for sure it was Lemieux. So as you get a little bit older, um, I see that you played for uh, a team in Tavistock, the Tavistock Braves, you played six games for them, and then um, I guess the following year you moved up to Stratford, where you played yeah. 44 games, uh, 58 points, 143 penalty minutes. So. Um, for, for people down here in the States that aren't really familiar with, uh, I mean, a lot of us are familiar with junior hockey, major junior, but uh, these are leagues that are obviously below major junior. This is kind of like the ladder, you know, going up the ladder to major junior. Is that how that works? Yeah, so um, my the Tavistock Braves was my hometown, so I grew up in a town of 1,200 people, and uh, the Tavistock Braves used to be junior D. So like a fourth tier junior team. Okay. So my last year I played in Tavi, I was uh, 14. And I played uh, Bantam, Midget, and Junior D that year. Okay. So yeah. I was playing with kids my age at 14 all the way up to kids that were 20 Jeez. in junior. And then as uh, that, that year finished, then I went to Junior B, which was uh, the Stratford Culletons. And uh, I, I started that year as a 15-year-old, um, turned 16, obviously, during the year. Um, and that's a league up to 20 as well. Um, but through the Cully, Culleton's Junior B system, um, that they had many NHLers like uh, Chris Pronger, Eddie Olchuk, Gar Snow, uh, Mike Peluso, Nelson Emerson, Boyd Devereaux, Jeff Halpern. Uh, Mike Watt, who's another former Islander. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, like, the list just goes on. We had so many different uh, guys that played Junior B in Stratford that, you know, went on to play in the NHL. And um, was that, that year, obviously, you had a great season, uh, 44 games, 58 points, uh, 143 pims. Is that where you started to uh, mix it up a little bit? Yeah, so I went there, and I had a big growth spurt at 15, 16. I was like um, 6 foot 2 or 3, 185 pounds, I think, as like a grade 10. So like wow. as a 15, you know, 16-year-old. And uh, at the time when I made the team, the, the coach and GM was like, boy, Devereaux is going to be your centerman, and you're going to be a winger, and your job's to protect them. And I was like... Well, I'm just coming from like Bantam, Midget, and, you know, Junior D, Junior C hockey, uh, where like I scored three, three goals and like five, six points a game average. Um, you know, body checking, let alone protecting somebody, was all new to me. But um, you know, I still scored and put up points, and then and, uh, that was my pretty much my first introduction to like dropping gloves and trying to protect myself and teammates and I, I only did it a handful of times probably less than 10 mm -hmm. 
uh, in the 40 games in regular season, whatever. But we won uh, we won all Ontario's that year, um, and our overall record was like 60 wins, eight losses, and one tie. Wow! And uh, that was the first taste of a championship ring. And obviously, with the season you had, you caught the attention of the OHL teams, and you were drafted by Windsor in the first round, uh, 13th overall. So. Um, how big of a deal is that for uh, an Ontario kid to get drafted by a team like Windsor, especially in the first round? Uh, it's pretty huge, especially like for my example uh, or in my situation. Like I went from a town of 1,200 people to the next year playing junior B and getting I had seven. I have a binder at home of 17 college D1 offers. Wow! And getting. Um, introduce and having meetings with three or four or five different agencies i got like these lawyers and agents that want to represent me and the next thing you know ohl teams and then they're talking about you know two years from now you could be drafted the nhl and you know coming from a town of 1200 to like hollywood almost setting it was pretty crazy a lot to take in right yeah um so being selected um in the first especially after winning um, was obviously a great honor, but it uh, it opened up a lot of uh, uh, like eyes and situations to future endeavors, right? Oh, definitely. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, I want to ask you about a few of the guys that you played with on Windsor. Uh, one of them has Islander ties. He was also a draft pick. Now he's gone on to become a pretty successful coach, and that's DJ Smith. Uh, what are your recollections of playing with DJ in Windsor? Yeah, I played uh, two years of Smitty. I remember going in uh, my rookie year, so my first training camp, Ed Jovanovski was just drafted that summer to the Panthers. Uh, first overall, and I remember like one of my first rushes, it was against Smitty and Jovanovski as a pair, and I was like, I don't want to say I was uh, uh, shitting bricks, pardon my language. <laughs> nope, but, uh, curse you know, away. You, you get your eyes open when all of a sudden your cage is gone and you're wearing a half visor and you're playing against men, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, like, Smitty was a uh, big physical force and feared in the OHL. Uh, my first year um, there, so I got to, like, practice with them, work with them, that kind of stuff. And then uh, my second year there, um, after my first year of playing uh, and training and working out and, you know, really turning from a boy to a man early um, and, you know, gaining the weight and the strength and all that and then being able to beat on guys like Smitty and at practice and in games and, uh, <clears throat> you know, really elevate your game and take it higher than theirs was, uh, it's like a learning curve, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, obviously a couple of years later, you're then playing pro against each other and you're laughing about you know how 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 much you've come and how far you've gone since uh, you know two, three, four, five years in junior. Definitely. Um, another guy you played with your first year, um, and uh, this he's not Islander related, but he is uh, he is a character, and that's Todd Screwy St. Louis. Do you have any uh, recollections of Screwy? Yeah, Screwy Louis was. Uh, I still talk to him. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the guys I still talk to here and there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Scurry Louie was, uh, he was from uh, Tecumseh Way, which is like a suburb of Windsor. So he was like a local boy coming home. And uh, uh, he's definitely a, a 
different bird from a different bird cage. <laughs> but uh, he used to like smashing apples off his head uh, before games just to get himself fired up a little bit and, you know, give some comic relief to the boys. And he, uh, for as scrawny as what he was back in junior, he would take on anybody and love it. And uh, that was just the fire that he had inside, right? Definitely, definitely. I love the guy. And then the last guy I want to ask you about for your first year, and I'm asking you about him because I hate him. Obviously, I don't know him as a person, but uh, the player that he was, was Matt Cook a douche in junior like he was in the NHL playing-wise? Yeah, so Cookie was, uh, I played two and a half years with him. Yeah. Um, Do you know what? He worked his bag off all the time. Definitely, definitely. I do give him that. Like, the guy... He just he he worked hard, um, not necessarily polished or gifted or even rewarded. Um, just he worked hard, yeah. and he was a big brown noser. <laughs> um, so it did help him. It did help him, you know, get that. I mean, his hard work would have got him the ice time and stuff, but he brown nosed a little bit too, and that got him a little <laughs> bit more. Um, same with like uh, if you like ever went to the bar with a guy he was just like he was bigger than what he's he was always he always came off as bigger than what he really was you yeah. know what I mean mm-hmm. personality everything so he was a bit of a douche nozzle but <laughs> um, he was a teammate so when I played with him you know it was different on the ice than anything else um, but you know what he, like I said he worked hard um, all the time obviously he's he's made some poor chance or choices on the ice over his career uh, some decisions but you live and die by the sword absolutely uh really what was and you had touched on this with the season before what is what is the adjustment like as a as a young kid so you mentioned you know a couple seasons prior to that you're playing in a league where you're scoring four five six points a game and you're kind of like the big fish in the small pond and now you see yourself a year or so later, and now, like you say, you're playing against kids your age, but you're also playing against men. What is that transition like for a young kid? Well, it's just, it's a learning curve, right? And you got to get through the fear and the fear of the unknown of testing those waters. You know, you're lining up on a face-off with a guy that's got a beard and smells like booze, and <laughs> like you barely have hair on your chest, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh battling with those guys and then and then winning those battles and getting the outcomes yeah that uh make it more challenging because then you have these older guys breathing down at you and coming down at you and you just keep showing them up and keep showing them up and that's how you that's how you keep continuing your growth definitely um any any uh memorable moments from your rookie season with windsor uh unfortunately i didn't have uh I didn't have your fight card for uh, the OHL uh, for uh, some of the seasons, so I don't know uh, who you might have mixed it up with. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a fight. But just that first season in Windsor, anything uh, anything memorable uh, stand out? Um, no, I don't. Yeah. We played like my first year. Uh, I had a coaching change. I had Mike Kelly. He got fired on my birthday, oh. in December. Uh, Mike is, I believe, one of the coaches in Vegas, though. Okay. Um, and then uh, Paul Gillis came in, and Gilly was a uh, Hartford Whaler, Quebec Nordique. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just just playing against a bunch of, like, Brad Brown played, yeah. and Jesse Bullrice, and uh, 
trying to think who else. Uh, Eric Bolton. Yeah. Um, there was all kinds of those are just guys that really like in our division. Mm-hmm. Um, we wow. always had a tough division, right? Yeah, sounds uh, like Nathan it. Parrott, Andre Payet. And, yeah, we just had uh, <laughs> Mark Morrill. Yeah. Uh, like it just never ended. Um, so, like, as a 16-year-old playing against those guys, it was always tough. But uh, <coughs> um, the fight card things, I think, even, like, on uh, HockeyFights.com and Fight Card Z, it's hard to get accurate stuff on everybody, right? Like, yeah. I, I know, I, I think, well, I can't remember. It was sometime over the winter. I was trying to figure out how many videos or reports were on some of my career and stuff. <coughs> they're missing like 200 it's uh it's pretty crazy because i know like just junior a and the ohl alone i pretty much average a fight every goal i scored oh wow <laughs> so coming from junior into pro it was like almost 100 100 tilts already right wow yeah oh. so uh no not one particular uh thing my first year or second year or anything mm-hmm. uh you know uh, maybe a couple line brawls here and there yeah but no particular uh, uh, tilt or situation that I can really think of. Well, your second year is really, it looks like everything must have just clicked for you. It seems like you really came into your own that season. Uh, 59 points in 57 games, and you almost had 200 penalty minutes. Um, Is this the season, did I hear this right or read this right? Did you have seven points in a game? Yeah, so I... uh seven or eight one of the two i can't remember wow um we played uh, against kitchener one game um and i had a goal and six assists or a goal and seven assists it was i tied jovanoski for a spitfire record for most assists in the game nice um and i also fought in the third period like with four minutes to go one of their d at stanfield or something was his name i can't remember um grabbed me off the face off it was like you're not getting any more and uh <laughs> I ended up going with him, so I yeah I had quite a game uh, against Kitchener that year. But uh, my second year, I played uh, Peter Sarno was my centerman for pretty much the whole year, and uh, Sarno went on to win one or two scoring titles of his junior career. And, um, he was an Edmonton draft pick. I think he might have played a little bit with Edmonton or Columbus, but he was a phenomenal passer. I pretty much just had to battle on the boards and. Uh, start the plays or get it going and then crash the net and put them in well now when you play just judging by your numbers was this i don't want to say it seemed easy because obviously you worked hard but did it just seem like everything clicked for you that year uh it was a lot better yeah like it uh i just kept uh i just kept progressing every year like as i continued to get bigger and stronger and we were winning a little bit and you know you start getting excited um you know when you're scoring almost a point a period or a point or two a game you know what i mean yeah um and you're just you're going with with that and feeding off of that right yeah and then it's like the progression thing where the year before you know playing in junior b and you're getting agents and introduced to schools and junior teams and now it's my agents introduced me to NHL scouts and teams and now you're going out for interviews and meetings with them because they're starting to 
do their due diligence on it before the draft, right? Yeah. So now it's a whole new buzz and excitement that, like, holy shit, I could be getting drafted to the NHL. So that's kind of... That year was more so like a blur because it's like you were starting to watch in the stands and see who you recognize and who you went out for dinner with the, during the week or what team and then you see them there and then they like wink at you after a game or say hi or like pat you on the back or whatever, right? So you're starting to build those NHL connections. It's it's pretty cool feeling. Yeah, so that kind of brings me to, to the next question. Um, at what point that season did, did uh, you start to hear things about the draft um, you know, like you said, maybe there's more people coming to see you. Uh, I imagine maybe there's a little more media coverage. Uh, what, at what point did that start to happen? Um, I think it was like leading up until like November, December. So a couple months in, they do like their first report and stuff, uh, scouting report and you know, just hearing the buzz and seeing that, you know, your name's on, like, third or fourth round or fifth round or whatever, you're you're scouted. And then uh, hearing buzz and, like, a month later, and now they're talking, like, prospect game for Cherry or prospect game, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you have a good month push, your team's winning, and next thing you know, you're rated, like, 27th. And it's now you're probably in for the or or cherry prospect game, which is all of the CHL, so the combined of the Western and the Quebec and Ontario League. And then you get selected to that, and it's like it just keeps snowballing, right? Yeah. And uh, so now you're like you're playing with and against you know the top guys, and just being part of part of them and. You know, doing all the testing and, and play the game there, and then it, uh, you come back from that and you're on a high. It's like a whole new level. Like you just elevated your game back uh, that you bring and finish out the rest of the year with that. So uh, the reason why you are on the show is because you were drafted by the second uh, by the Islanders in the second round, 31st overall. So. My question is, had you spoken to the Islanders prior to this? Because I know sometimes guys get drafted by teams and they've never had a conversation with them. Um, yeah. And did you speak to them, and were other teams interested? Uh, well, I had a lot of, about a month before the draft, I had a lot of touring, going, talking, practice facilities, and Toronto University, York University, doing a bunch of tests. And... Um, fitness tests and this that and the other and a lot of interviews in my hometown a lot of interviews in different cities um i actually flew to new york um, and did the flyers the rangers and the islanders like in a week span i just bounced from one city to the other yeah <laughs> and i met with the islanders um actually twice i had once i was there with like a group setting I did a couple more tours and then I went back there um, by myself and uh, I was in a room with uh, like their whole scouting staff, all their coaches, everybody. And it was like a two hour grill session. We just went over all their questions and, and we talked hockey and uh, my draft year was a little unique because a lot of teams, um, my first year, so at the end of my first year, I became a dad. So I had uh, my oldest boy, my first year junior. So I just turned 17. I became a dad. 
Okay. So majority of the teams danced around the the question, like they wanted to kind of know more about uh, situation with my son, like was I involved, not involved, that kind of thing, right? So a lot of teams danced around, and after interview and interview, I could kind of tell like they were hesitant on just coming out and asking. Yeah. You know, so I always that's how I broke the ice, <laughs> or that's how I started talking with teams was like just ask me, man. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I'm still a teenager. I'm still a kid. My timing was off, but, you know, I'm involved in my kid's life, and I'm always going to be. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And that's why the game's more important to me, because i got to get more out of it so I can provide more. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. So um, what was your reaction when the Islanders drafted you? Did, did you think you would go that high? Did you think you were going to be drafted later? What was your reaction? Uh, so the draft was in Pittsburgh, and uh, I was sitting there, and I remember right after uh, uh, Florida picked Mike Brown in the first, um, their uh, coach and GM or coach and head scout or somebody, um, Doug Murray, I can't remember who it was, yeah. uh, came up in the stands where I was sitting and was like, uh, we ended up taking Mike because he was rated one higher than what you were on our draft board. Um, but if you're around or if we make a trade, we're going to try and get you too. Okay. And I remember at the time looking at him and just like, get the fuck, you know, get yeah. out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, didn't want to hear it. So I was kind of sitting there waiting and then uh, second pick in the second round, the Islanders called me and I like ran down to the stage and got my jersey <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> Um, then got the family down, did all the pictures, all that kind of thing, and then they had to get together. And I remember uh, my jersey. Oh, I still have my draft jersey, but my name bar on my jersey was sewn on, yeah, sewn on the jersey, where all the other ones had the Velcro straps. Right. Nice, very nice. So Melbury, when I talked to him again, he was uh, he was like, yeah, because uh, they picked fourth and fifth that year. They took Luongo Brewer and then me. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, we were going to trade the fifth pick a little bit later in the first, and we were going to take you then. Wow. Uh, but we decided we didn't get enough in return for that pick or whatever, so we took Brewer, and then boom, you fell to us. So it was like we were we were taking you one way or another, and they ended up getting me, and that's why my jersey, uh, it's pretty cool that my name bar actually sewn on the jersey because, as I said, like it's usually just a a velcro strap that they slap on right yeah oh yeah no and, and that's that de- and it's cool because that's definitely something you notice you know it's definitely something that you know it, it's it might be a small thing for the team to do but it goes a long way with the player and that's that's cool because it's definitely something that you notice yeah you know um so now you end up in uh in training camp with the islanders so um just so you know i tell this to everybody uh, I'm not a big Mike Milbury fan. That doesn't mean that, you know, I don't, I expect everyone to shit on him or whatever. So uh, I just throw that out there for everybody. Uh, yeah. What were your impressions of uh, of your first camp with Mike Milbury? Uh, well, I went there and uh, uh, right after the draft, the, the next day I flew to uh, Nassau and I stayed there for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And got to meet all the staff and all the doctors and we did all the testing and start doing your workouts and skating and all that kind of stuff right mm-hmm. so 
I got to meet everybody then, and then I think at the time when we were there, it was like, I remember going in the gym at the rink, and like, uh, Ken Belanger was there, and Rich Pilon, and like some massive dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember going like, geez, I got to, this Dan O'Chara. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going like, I got to like, you know, take this a little bit more serious and it's not just all fun, right? Like, I got to yeah. start training and working out hard and lifting. And, you know, they want me to be like, you know, that power forward. Like Todd Bertuzzi was there at the time. Um, Bert was a gift, a player, and a big dude, but he just didn't bring that extra, like, drop the glove, that extra little bit of meat on the bone, you know? Right, yeah. Oh, I'm well aware. Um, so that's, like, what I wanted to get into, but I was still young. I was only, like, 18 at the time, so I was still a couple of years away from that, but I, I really wanted to start uh, then getting, getting as uh, hardcore as what I could. And aside from the the muscle that you mentioned, like Boulanger and Chara and Rich Pilon, uh, when you walk into the locker room during training camp and you see guys like Ziggy Palfi and Reichel and Kenny Onsen and Brian Burrard, is that intimidating at all? Just that you're at, you're an 18 year old kid and now you're you're in a room with some world class players. Yeah, I think uh, I didn't really think it was that um, like crazy. It didn't. Like, I know my, I remember my first skate with all those guys. I was just like, in fucking awe of how every single pass was right on my stick. Yeah. You know, like, it was so fast, right on your. Mission game was, I was on. Grace Tchaikovsky. And, like, they just, they were wizards. And I just, like, stay in my lane, stay in my lane, mm-hmm. you know? And then, uh,. I can't remember if it was that year or the next year. I played in uh, Carolina. We played I played an exhibition game, and I was on a line with like uh, Mick Vakoda and and I think Belanger, and like they ended up squaring up with like Chris Murray and Stu Grimson. Yeah, you know, I like left for the scraps. Like <laughs> it was like Bates Battaglia or Nolan Pratt or somebody. You know, thank God not like a Grim Reaper or a Chris Murray. <laughs> But watching those guys chuck, right? I'm just like, Jesus. Yeah. Now, you know, it's a, still a ways away, but, uh, you know, I remember talking to them just like, why aren't you guys saving that for a regular season? Like, you're already on the team and you guys are going to be mm-hmm. fighting against each other a million times. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why do it now, you know? Uh, did you end up in any fights? And I know that the, uh, back in the day, uh, before they had changed the uniforms, they used to have things called blue and white uh, games uh, in yeah. practices. Uh, so did you end up in any fights uh, in camp or in any uh, rookie games that first year? Uh, not in camp. Yeah. Uh, rookie games, I probably did. I can't remember where all. New Jersey, New York, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know Carolina for sure. I fought. I can't remember who and who all. Daniels, yeah. maybe a Daniels. Jeff Daniels, something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, just like weird situations, um, you know, that kind of thing. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I know our second camp we were in uh, Lake Placid, and that was more so just us. And then I think we played against Boston in an exhibition. There was probably some rookie tilts there, but yeah. I can't, uh, in particular, any like I don't remember. I got you. 
So yeah. uh, after camp, when you go back down to Windsor, um, did you do you go back? Not necessarily with a swagger, but you just had the experience of a pro camp. So uh, is it a different feeling? You obviously, I, I mean, I guess barring a miracle, uh, I guess you knew you probably weren't going to make the Islanders. So you knew at some point you were going back to Windsor, but getting that experience, do you go back to Windsor with sort of a different outlook? Uh, yeah, for sure, because everything that you hear then is that, uh, you know, you got to go back to junior, you got to keep maturing, you got to keep getting bigger, getting stronger, you know, to help your team win. And, uh, it, you know, it's pretty much just mature, mature, mature. Yeah. Um, but you definitely go back with, you know, with uh, um, bigger balls and, you know, a swelled head a little bit for sure because, like, you were just there, right? You saw what it's like. You know that you can play there. You're Right now you're maybe a, you know, a third or fourth liner or a year or two in the minors, but you're close. Yeah. Um, so you do go back to try and light it up so that you do. Now you're playing for a contract, right? Yeah. So you go back, and, and that's what you do. You just take off from there. <clears throat> and uh, that's where I went back. And then our team, our third year, kind of imploded in Windsor. Um, on paper, we were I think we were rated in the top ten in Canada. Um, we had a, like eight or ten guys, something drafted. Like We, we had a real strong team. Um, we just didn't have a coaching staff uh, that knew how to coach us or handle us. And, and our GM was a bit of a donkey himself. And um, when the owner came back from a family trip in Italy for like three weeks or a month, and we were struggling, he got rid of everybody finally uh, on the staff-wise. And then at that point, uh, they pretty much had a meeting with all of us captains. And we're just like, we're underachieving and we're thinking about a rebuild. Um, you know, you guys are all valuable pieces and we can get lots in return. So that's the way we're going to go. And we were all for it because all of us guys were hoping that it would be our last year or, or we'd be set up for an OA year if we had to come back. So uh, that's when I went to Erie and I uh, had a good coach there, Dale Dunbar. And played. Obviously, I played with a lot of good players there and we got hot. We went on like a 20-game win streak. Uh, once I got there and uh, yeah finished out the year there and then it took us back into our second camp um, one guy who didn't underachieve in Windsor is you uh, 30 points in 20 games so you obviously kept up your end of the bargain um, you played with Mike Rupp who I think was also involved in the trade to Erie uh, when you went to Erie he went to Erie uh, and as you know, I'm sure he was a first-round pick of the Islanders. It, uh, similar to you, he didn't end up playing for the Islanders. But uh, what were your impressions of Mike Rupp? Yeah, so Rupper was in area as a, or in Windsor as a rookie, and he was just like this big kid. Um, he was decent, but like he was like third, fourth liner, big. Like that was about it. And then uh, I went to Erie, and it was like a week or two later he got traded to Erie. Okay. Um, after me and uh, same kind of thing he finished out the years like a third fourth liner um, and then went obviously Islanders first round that next year Yeah. and then uh, it was more so my 
his second year and my fourth year, um, we had a good team as well, and we were putting up big numbers, and uh, that's when he kind of got into, like, a second-line second line role and a little bit more ice time um, that year. He still needed a lot to develop, but he was on his way because he was so big, right, like 6'5", yeah. 230. Yeah. Um, when you before the trade, you ended up fighting a guy who would play with the Islanders later on. He was a big defenseman from Peterborough, Matt Carpenter. Uh, you remember yeah. that fight? Yeah, Kirks and I. He was my second fight uh, against Peterborough. That 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 game, I fought uh, PJ Ketchison okay. um, at center ice and pumped him. And then uh, Kirks was a big kid, mm-hmm. uh, making a name for himself. He wanted to go, and he's probably the first guy. First guy that I fought um, out of all my fights, and especially my first guy in junior, that I don't think he grabbed. I think he just threw left, right, left, right. Like I, it was hard for me to fight him because I don't remember. Our fight was probably twenty seconds, yeah. um, but he never grabbed. He just swung left, right. Like it was, he was hard to figure out which way I wanted to go or how to fight him because he was throwing everything. Right, right. Um, but he, I had him up against the board so he didn't have much of uh, uh, anywhere to go or to move or whatever so his punches weren't uh, like Tony Twist tough they yeah. were they were limited but yeah he was uh, he was definitely a big young kid and, and pretty tough and he threw both hands and that kind of surprised me a little bit um, now once you're in Erie again you're better than a point <laughs> point a game guy 39 points 32 games 91 penalty minutes, and you had a pretty tough team there. It was yourself, uh, Adam Niddle was there, Rupp was there, uh, Monador, and a guy that I'm a really big fan of, and I got to know him a little bit when he was with uh, Norfolk, is Jeff Paul. And I think yeah, he's Paul. really, I think he's underrated tough, and I think he's an underrated player. What do you think? Yeah, so Paul Z and I, uh, like, he's a Stratford boy, so I grew up pretty close to him. Uh, he's a big southpaw. Yeah. Uh, has a body of, like, a milk bag. <laughs> You know, quick talker. Uh, he was always taller, bigger than than most of us our age. Uh, we caught up to him later on, but yeah, he was. Uh, he never quit, and uh, you know, anytime you're straight up uh, southpaw, you have an advantage over anybody. And he took that uh, uh, for his advantage and surprised guys, and and that's why he did uh, as well as what he did. And at the end of that season, uh, you won a team award, the Vinny Scott Award for Determination. Um, if people don't know who Vinny Scott is, who is Vinny Scott, and how much did the winning the award mean to you? Um, no idea who Vinny Scott was. Okay. <laughs> um, but I know, uh, yeah, most determined. And I think that was uh, more so the coach um, and the staff, Sherry Bass, and them. More than any, just you know, kind of reaching out because I I played every shift, every game, like it was my last, and I always put the team first. And like if it meant I had to uh, body check and be a checker all game, I did that. If I had to fight anybody, I fought anybody. You know, I would uh, go to the net hard and grease out uh, the wax and the pains and all that kind of stuff just to to get a goal and to do whatever it took for the team, right? Yeah. Um, so now the next season comes along and you end up in your second camp with the Islanders. So now, uh, because you went to camp the season before, you had an idea of what to expect. So how did your second camp differ than your first? 
Well, one of the first days we were at Lake Placid, Millbury pulled me in his office and, and uh, he really pissed me off. He was like, uh, it was probably the only time in my hockey career I felt like a piece of garbage on the floor. Uh, he was trying to motivate me, you know, asking how I thought my year was the year before. I explained to him that I thought it was pretty good because between the three junior leagues, and we call it the Canadian Hockey League, I think I was like 22nd for points per game. So, like, in the top, like, 5-10% of all the leagues of junior for points per game in production. And, you know, I fought 25 times and the team did well. And, and he just went off about my numbers were brutal and I should have did better and this, that, and the other. And I really, like, slumped in my chair. Uh, so I was a little gun-shy probably for the first day or two at Lake Placid. Uh, just battling my own guys and stuff, but then we played against Boston in an exhibition game, and uh, I think we lost like seven to two or something. I scored both goals. I had a fight, and I was hitting everything. And then next thing I knew, I was uh, sent back to junior because I didn't sign a contract, so I couldn't go to Lowell. Oh no, I went to Lowell. That's right. That was the first year the farm team was in Lowell. Okay. So I went there then, and uh, I remember being there um, for like a week, and my agent was blowing me up. I think I might have played one or two games. And I was like, if I'm, if they're not going to sign me, like I would might as well go back to junior and light it up, and then I'll leave them because like, this is stupid. Like, yeah. Give me a contract or I'm going back. Yeah. So I was in Lowell for like a week, and then I ended up going back and and starting the year back in Gary in junior. And you pretty much picked up where you left off, 43 points, 28 games, 78 penalty minutes. Um, yeah, obviously it looks like you're having a pretty decent year. Uh, what led to the trade to Sarnia? So, yeah, it was. Uh, I had three hat-tricks to start the year. Wow. Um, playing with Tim Connolly on the line. Another former yeah. Islander. Yeah, he was a uh, first-rounder that year, too. It was kind of weird. Like My last two years of junior, my line mates or my teammates were Islander first-rounders. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, they come to scout and watch a prospect like myself because at one point I was, like, the Islanders' top prospect hmm. in uh, the hockey news and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> and then next thing I know, it's like all my teammates are getting first-round picks and I'm not even getting an offer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was on fire, and then I, uh, uh, a New York Ranger draft pick, Richard Scott. Yep. Um, I crushed him into the boards one game, and he came back and took my knee out, and I blew my knee out uh, right around Christmas time. And I pretty much sat out uh, <laughs> right to the deadline um, with a knee injury, and Sarnia ended up, Mark Hunter ended up trading for me at the deadline because they were making a run. They just picked up Peter Sarno, who was my centerman in, in Windsor. Yeah. Uh, they just picked up Sarno, so they wanted me to play with him, and, and we were making a run at it. We had a good team. It's just our leading goal scorer broke his thumb game one, and other guys got injuries, and we just kind of fell apart in the playoffs. Um, one guy that you fought uh, a couple times with Sarnia uh, was Adam Mayer, who I believe that you had fought also at least one time before. Uh, yeah. Was that a guy that you just had a rivalry with, or was there anything personal, or just was no? Just I just I used to I used to beat on Merzi. Um, <laughs> my last regular season OHL game, I fought him three times. 
and uh, Chad Bullard once. I had 47 penalty minutes in my last regular season OHL game. Wow. <laughs> um, I think it, it's probably up there for close to a record, if not the record. I would say um, so. Four fights and 47 pims in the game is kind of ridiculous. But, yeah, Mirzi, I... Uh, he always battled hard, and he was a lefty, and I hated fighting lefties, but I always did well against him, so I, I didn't mind beating his face in as much as what I could. <laughs> so, in uh, in the playoffs, uh, you fought uh, Chris Barch, and uh, I didn't see it, but it, uh, the penalties, it looks like there were a lot of guys that got misconducts and stuff like that. Was that a line brawl? Uh, I can't remember. I remember Barch and I fought, I think, a couple of times in their five-game playoffs. Um, I know we did for sure in Sarnia. I know at the end of our series when we were shaking hands, I fought Jason Metcalf mm-hmm. in the middle of the the uh, shaking hands as we're leaving, whatever. Is that right? Yeah, Metcalf. I, London, I always fought a lot. Like I think I fought everybody in London my my three years that we played against them, same division, that kind of thing. Wow. Um, uh, that was like the rivalry, right? These London against Erie, London yeah. against Windsor. Didn't matter. Like uh, we fought all the time. How does how did two guys end up fighting in the handshake? Um, I think it was he wouldn't shake my hand. Okay. And because uh, we battled so much and fought so many times, uh, he wouldn't shake my hand. I probably called him a pussy, and he turned around and chirped me. And then it was like, all right, let's throw. <laughs> We were over agers. We weren't going back, so it was like we're doing it. Um, one guy I definitely want to ask you about, um, who is sort of infamous in uh, OHL, is ex-teammate of yours, Jeff Kugel. Now his incident, you weren't. I think it was the year after you were in Windsor, but you were still in the league. So do you remember when? When uh, I guess it was against Owen Sound and Sean Avery when he snapped. Do you remember when that happened? And because you. You knew the guy. Uh, did you have any yes. reaction to that? Yeah. Well, Coogs was like a huge teddy bear. The yeah. guy hated the fight. Mm-hmm. He his stall was beside me in the dressing room, and I remember telling him like the first day I met him, I was like, "Dude, if I had your size, like I'd be a millionaire. Like I'd be <laughs> one of the richest NHL players ever." Because you can't lose when you're that big. Yeah. He was just ginormous, like mm-hmm. thick, big, just huge. And he was like, oh, I just, I, I don't want to have to just, like, only play once, twice a period and fight. And I was like, who cares? Like, yeah. make that money, man. Yeah. You're not going to get hurt at that size. But he just, he hated to fight. And then, uh, you know, when he did fight, he did okay. But mm-hmm. nobody wanted to really challenge him. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Coogs just snapped. And he was going after Chris Menard is who he was chasing around. Well, he punched out, or he jumped or punched a European kid that never fought before, and then he went after Chris Menard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's Cougs for you. And then, <laughs> after, I think he tried maybe a little pro or semi-pro somewhere. Yeah. And then, uh, it seems like five years out of the league or whatever, then he got into some MMA and boxing and actually maybe found a love for some fighting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I figured, like I said, I knew you weren't there, but I figured obviously something like that was even on, say, ESPN down here in the States. So I figured it definitely reverberated around the league and you were still there at the time. So I had to ask since he was your teammate. Yeah. Um, so you were drafted by the Islanders. You went to two camps there. You had already mentioned uh, that um, 
you know, you told your agent that you didn't want to stay in Lowell if they weren't going to sign you. And if I'm not mistaken, the team has basically until the day before the draft two years later to sign you. Were, were you ever close to signing a contract with the Islanders? So right before I got hurt my second year, then I got a offer and we turned it down because it was Milbury just doing his games and it was a weak offer at the time, especially like when I was lighting it up. Yeah. Um, it was a no-brainer to turn it down and then um, after our in Sarnia after playoffs I got we got eliminated and then they wanted me to go to Lowell to finish the year there mm-hmm. and uh, when you're unsigned it was pretty much a no-brainer you never went unless right. you were signed right. so we turned that down and then it was alright well we're not going to sign you so we asked for permission to start talking to teams so that that way when you become a free agent I could uh, have a deal already in place mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so once I became a free agent then I was like I think I signed with Boston like five days into free agency oh nice were, were any other teams interested or that was where you wanted to go or they just gave you the best deal um so became a free agent and Boston and Phoenix uh Phoenix offered more money um but I liked the Boston opportunity a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple other teams that were interested, but by this point, I already had a couple offers in, and I had a two-year-old kid at the time, and I was like, I just want to sign and know where I'm going. Right, right. And that year for training camp for the Bruins, now you didn't participate because you were rehabbing an injury, correct? Yeah, so it's back to my knee being buggered from Richard Scott at Christmas time the year before. Um, I had surgery then in the off season and trained uh, July and August in Boston, basically just rehabbing. And then uh, <coughs> um, it was a month and a half before I got back to playing. And then um, I have to say that this the Providence team you played on. Uh, I, I read somewhere they had, well, they, you, I, I guess the injury bug really hit that team because 71 players dressed for at least one game that season in Providence. Did you know that? Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> um, it was crazy. And that happened in Boston, too. Because I, the Bruins I guess got so. a lot of injuries, so guys would get called up, so then Providence had to fill their guys, so they brought guys up. It was like a never, never-ending thing story that year. So before we get to your your uh, pro debut, because it's a great story between the game and, and what happened after, I got to ask you: uh, Did you happen to play uh, play uh, any games with um, Eric Cairns or Kevin Kaminsky down in Providence? Yeah, so Killer was a teammate. Got to play with him, Cairnsy. Uh, I think just exhibition and yeah. practice with. Mm-hmm with him i think we were uh i shared a room with him and dennis bombie oh wow <laughs> at uh, at one point in uh, providence um but killer i played with killer mm-hmm. a few games um we had lots of guys like that in uh in providence when i played that's for sure yeah i mean <clears throat> just some of the guys down there like tough players i mean aaron downey was a staple down there jay henderson was a regular uh perpich mccambridge uh, John Aiken, Roger Maxwell. Then you had guys like uh, um, Ken Tasker played a few games, I think. Dave Jezlowski, uh Alexander Udin. Yeah, Vandermeer. I mean, you guys had it was uh, it was like a revolving door there. I guess just with all the injuries. Yeah, Clint Cabana. There was lots of guys. 
He played there too? Yeah, Cabana was there for a bit. Oh my goodness. That's uh... Yeah, it just like it never stopped. <laughs> it was like we were tough, we were good. Uh what did you think about Peter Laviolette and uh, his assistant was someone who was I'm sure pretty popular down there, tough guy in his own right, Bill Armstrong. Yeah, uh, Lavi was an awesome coach, and uh, Army um, Army used to skate me like after because I was a rookie. Like yeah. after every practice for like 45 minutes every day. So at first I hated the guy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they were good, they were good coaches. Yeah. Definitely, uh, like my first year pro. Anyway, you learned a lot from guys like that. Yeah. So tell everybody the story about your uh, your first game with Providence and uh, the subsequent 24 hours after that. Yeah, so I uh, I um, skated. I was cleared to play for like two, three weeks, and uh, did all the practices. Even did a couple warm ups for some games. I, my parents came down one weekend because I thought I was cleared. Well, I got cleared to play. Uh, I did two warm ups of a game, and they never played me. So my parents drove down and watched me do warm ups, and then I sat with them. And I remember telling Laviolette was asking, or I introduced him to him or whatever, and he was like, well, if I would have known your parents are here, I would have played you. And I was like, that's a cheap excuse. Like, yeah. i got to earn my time, you know? Yeah. So the next weekend, he was like, well, you're playing next Friday or whatever it was. So I was like, all right. So I had, like, two of my best friends came down from Tavistock. They were coming down to watch my first pro game in, Prov- you know, in Providence and that whole thing. So... Uh, my first shift, I think I lasted like three seconds and I drew a penalty and jitters were gone because like I had my first shift over with, so I waited, waited like another five minutes, got out on the ice again, off the face off, I think I made it to the net, drew another penalty, so I got about 10 seconds of playing time now between my two first shifts. So I was happy that the team got two power plays, but I was pissed because I only played like 10 seconds. <laughs> So my third shift drew another penalty, like maybe 20-second shift. So now I was, like, fuming because all I did was every time I got on the ice, I drew a penalty, drew a penalty, drew it, but I wasn't playing. Uh, we were down, like, 3-1 to one or 3 nothing or something. So at the start of the second period, I lined up with Kirby Law. Yeah. And I think Kirby had, like, 270 pims and 40 goals or something the year before. So he was one of the guys at the start of the game. I kind of – they had a – fairly tough squad over there and I was like well if I get a chance I'm gonna ask this guy I'm a rookie he'll probably look at me and say let's do it so I ended up fighting uh, Kirby line I had a really good belt with him and that kind of got us going a little bit and uh, Downey fought, fought after me and every, just like everybody started fighting after me then mm-hmm. and I ended up finishing the, the game uh, the Ferraro twins on a line and playing like every other shift mm-hmm and uh, I took my boys out uh, after the game. My two buddies, we went to uh, uh, Foxy's Lady, went to a sh- um, gentleman's club. <laughs> um, what seemed like the whole night, like a few hours, and, and we had a blast. And, uh, you know, celebrated my first game and all that. Went back to the apartment. I didn't even have furniture yet in my apartment, so they, like, slept in a, a blanket on the living room floor. And, Went down to the rink the next day for a quick morning uh, meeting and workout and light skate and all that kind of stuff. And after the meeting, I got called into coach's room into Lavi, and I was like, "Oh, geez, I must must really reek of booze, or he must know <laughs> that I was out partying or something." 
And uh, he was like, congrats, kid. You're going up tonight playing against Washington. And I was like, screw you. You're pulling the leg. No, and he's like, nope, for real. Congrats. And uh, obviously, it's the best feeling in the world. And, uh, you know, you get really warm and excited. And, and I was pretty fired up for that. And I went back and kicked the guys and woke them up. And the next thing you know, we're in my truck and driving up to Boston. And I got my first game against Washington. That's awesome. Now, I mean, what when you get to the rink, okay? Oh, there's actually part of the story there uh, when you got to the rink, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I got to the rink, hit traffic on the way in, get to the rink like 15 minutes before I'm supposed to be there, meeting, whatever, Ray Bork's first guy I see, and he's like, hey, rookie, you're pretty close to like a $500 fine and sent back down the minors and, you know, just your typical chirps. Yeah. Um, I just like ran into the room, threw my shit down, started getting dressed, ready to go. And uh, went out <coughs> in warm-ups. I was skating around Jeff Halpern, who I played with in Stratford and won a championship with, was like chirping me and we were having a good time and laughing and all that kind of stuff, you know, first game. And then uh, first period, I ran around and just, I like hit everything that moved. Yeah. And uh, Chris Simon, as we were skating off at the end of the first, Simon grabbed me by the throat and uh, was like, hit one more guy, I'm going to send you down the minors in a body bag. <laughs> and this was uh, this was long hair Undertaker Chris Simon, right? Yeah, this was like, like his best, most productive and killer days. Yeah, oh man. So I remember, like, I was, like, eye-to-eye -eye with him, but he yeah. was, like, yeah, he was crazy scary at yeah. that point. I was, like, a 20-year-old kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't stop. I kept hitting. I maybe toned it down a little bit, but, like, Brandon Witt roughed me up a, a little bit, and uh, I never fought or anything like that, but yeah. it was uh, some pretty good beats and beetle and uh, battles, that's for sure. Well, the one thing I noticed when I looked at the uh, the game sheets from the four games you played, the for for a team with that's renowned for their toughness, when the games that you played, you were probably the toughest guy that were was dressed. I mean, uh, obviously there were some legends on the team like Ray Bork's Hall of Famer, Joe Thornton's gone on to a great career, Andrew Chuck is there, but the toughest guy on the roster was I would say Ken Baumgartner, the assistant coach. Yeah, there, there really wasn't any toughness uh, in that lineup aside from yourself. Yeah, no, we had, uh, like, Sean Van Imp would throw. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't, uh, now that you're thinking about it, yeah. there's not, uh, there wasn't any guys, like, afterwards they had, like, Nazaroth and uh, some Sean Thornton, maybe. Yeah. Did he play there? Thornton's play there? Thor yeah, I don't know if he played there that season, but he was there. I mean, they had got you know, it, before that year and after that year, obviously. They had, yeah, that year, that's the year that they had a lot of injuries, too. Yeah. They just, we didn't have any, yeah, there was nobody that, uh, uh, well, Ken Belanger came and went yep. during that time when I was there, too. Mm -hmm. um, so you played three more games. You played at Carolina and Nashville and uh, home for Vancouver. So um, obviously, in all the stuff that I've read, the the Chris uh, nothing's going to beat the Chris Simon story. Um, but any other memorable moments from those other three games? Um, uh, Carolina, I messed up somebody's face with a hit. I can't remember who. Mm -hmm. Almost scored on Herbe. Nice. Uh, Nashville, uh, Nashville was fun to play in. Um, 
don't really remember much about that game. Yeah. I think Patrick Cote maybe was running around a little bit, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, and then Vancouver, I was back to at home game and running around, getting the fans into it. I put Brad May over the boards into our bench. Oh wow! Okay. Um, Brashear chased me around the ice. I ducked a cross check. <laughs> um, he ended up hitting uh, Joel Holbig in the head, and I think he, I think he gave him a concussion. He was out then a month or two. Oh shit! Um, but yeah, both uh, both home games, I made the front page of the paper from laying guys out, but. Uh, Murray Barron, I think, might have played in Vancouver then. He was roughing it up with me a little bit, but nothing. Uh, Brad May and I kind of looked at each other. I thought maybe once we were going to go. Well, yeah. that's what it was. Uh, I thought maybe once we were going to go right by our benches, but Van, in, Van Imp jumped in and fought May, and he got destroyed. Yeah, he and, May uh, did that to a lot of guys. Yeah. yeah, I didn't really know that May was like a lefty by trade. Like I knew he could throw both, but he like he was like left jackhammers, and he was a man. And it would have been man versus boy. And I'm I'm glad that I didn't uh, against him anyway. Then. Yeah, no, he's super tough, and he's a great guy too. So, uh, but yeah, he's a tough ask against anybody. Yeah, you know. And then, so you were sent back to Providence. Was that? Uh, I mean, obviously, you made an impression when you played there. But was that just because guys were coming back from injuries? Yeah, so that was, uh, um, well, I hadn't really played. I'd only played five games in the pro, and it was now December. Mm-hmm. Um, so Burns was like, we got a couple guys coming back from injury, and you got to play more, so we'll go back down to Providence. So I went back down to Providence, and uh, I started hitting the back of the net. I had like six points in my next ten games. Yeah. And um, I think I fought like six times, maybe six or seven times in my 12 games that I played. Yeah. And uh, I blew my knee out um, optional skate before Christmas break. And that was pretty much it then. (laughs) So you had come back from a pretty serious knee injury. And, you know, basically you come back, you, you play one game in the American League. Now you're in the NHL playing four games. You're back down in the American League, but you're pretty much doing what you've done your entire career, going back to junior. You're, you're a point-of-game player. You're, you're fighting guys. You're the prototypical power forward, and now you get another knee injury. Um, did that mess you up in the head a little bit? Like, what kind of psychological toll did that take on you? Because you had already worked your way back from a knee injury once before. Yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty choked just because, like, now it was, like, major reconstructive surgery, like, cutting muscle and putting screws in my leg and cutting bone out, regrafting, and uh, pretty intensive, and it was, basically, it was a decision where it was, it was either do or die, it's, we're going to try and do this, and if it works, you'll probably play again, and if it doesn't work, you're done. Um, so I was like, let's do it, because like I was young, I was fairly healthy, and I wanted to keep playing and get give a chance to play. So we went for it. It took uh, took a lot of rehab and a lot of help, but finally, uh, after a year or two, I got back to playing. So when you came back, now the Bruins, I guess when they signed you, it was a one-year deal. No, it was a three-year deal. Okay, a three-year two-way. So. Um, my second year, I basically rehabbed right until playoffs. And then playoffs, I got cleared to play. I got sent down then from Providence down to Greenville. 
yep. coast. Mm-hmm. And my first game back, I fought uh, Sandy Lamar. Okay. Uh, he played for Augusta, and I knocked him out. And when the linesmen was, were coming in to, like, get him, get me, that kind of thing, the one linesman uh, tripped on a stick and took out my good knee, so I blew my MCL on my other knee. Oh, my God. you got to be kidding. No. So then I was out uh, three weeks with that, and then when I came back, I ended up playing, like, 20 games in Greenville. It was, like, 20 games mm-hmm. in, like, three weeks. It was, like... A terrible schedule and I was it was the end of the year and I was just I was mentally and physically done I just wanted to get the year over with yeah um, so I fought a bunch of times I like barely played I just it was a bit of a shit show and uh, that ended that and then uh, went back to Bruins third camp and this one I was feeling half decent they were a little unsure about like any exhibition games or any of that kind of stuff and I was like just let me play man I remember like playing black and white games or whatever and I I hit their big signing at the time was Martin LaPointe yep and I remember hitting him and he hurt his wrist and uh they got kind of pissed because uh he was like their big signing and he hurt his wrist Mm -hmm. in camp and it was like the next day I was back down to Providence Mm -hmm. and um bunch of coaches changes and all that kind of stuff and there was a huge euro wave that came in Mm. i don't even think i was in providence like more than a week maybe 10 days and i was uh back to the coast and then i was like all right well i guess i'm done there yeah when uh (coughs) go ahead i'm sorry well then i just bounced around Mm -hmm. you know east coast and all that uh one guy you played with in uh, 2000, 2001 is a guy that I kind of, I don't want to say lumped together with Jeff Paul, but I find them similar in the fact that I think they could play, and I think they're underrated tough, is a guy that you might have played against in the OHL, and that's David Bell. Yeah, Belzy. Yeah, I, um, I saw him in, uh, I saw him play a few games in Springfield. He had a beautiful fight with Darcy Harris uh, one of the nights I was there in Springfield, so uh, I became an instant fan of his right then and there. Yeah, Belzy, I played junior against him and then played in Greenville with him. He's he's a beauty. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then when the following season, so you split the following season with Cincinnati and Greensboro. Um, yeah. So were they affiliated with Boston or it was just you were? No. Nope. It was just, just a loan like down? Independent, there? yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I know that you played with the, a, I guess he was a veteran at this point, Jeff Circa, uh, yeah. tough defenseman. Um, any memories of Cirque at all? Yeah, uh, he was he was a good teammate um, for the most part, and then I thought he kind of turned into a bit of a dick. Oh. And then when I got traded to Greensboro, we came back and played Cincinnati, and I, I went at him, and I, I beat the piss out of him in Cincinnati, and that's one of my better uh, coast fights that I remember, especially in the Cincinnati time. Well, um, in Greensboro... You played for uh, Graham Townsend, who I'm a huge fan of. Uh, yeah. Hopefully I get him on the show at some point. He's got to return my text, but that's besides the point. Um, what was it like playing for Graham? Uh, he was a beauty. Yeah. He, uh, he was uh, very energetic and into it and wanted to win, and we had like half a team that was just playing for the sake of playing. 
Um, so it kind of had him in the wrong place, but uh, he was a good coach. I, I got along with him. And uh, although you only played 39 games, you did have 33 points, but you did manage to put up 222 penalty minutes in 39 games. So uh, how does one do that? Um, I think I had like a East Coast record that year or all, all time or something. I think I went 26 straight games with a fight. Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah, it. Uh, I was down there. I was playing on a line with Jeff Bess and Chris Broussard. Mm-hmm. And we were scoring a lot and we fought a lot. We had a pretty tough team in Greensboro and it was just fun to... Uh, we also had an owner, um, Rocco Scarphone, who... I was still getting paid by Boston, so he wasn't really paying me. But um, his one kid and my oldest boy uh, used to inline skate together. And as talking with the owner there and stuff, he used to love the way that I played. So he started throwing me a little bit of cash on the side every time I fought. So he would come down and bang on the glass, like, put on a show. <laughs> so I was like, all right, here we go. So I would go out and just fight anybody and everybody that year. Tremendous. <coughs> Uh, so now, after that season, is that when your contract expired with Boston? Yeah. So I signed. Um, um, well, you there? Go ahead. Okay. No, I'm saying that was when your contract expired. So did you sign with anyone else, and they sent you to Columbus, or did you sign directly with Columbus? No. So I, uh, um, Oilers had me go to Hamilton Bulldogs camp. Mm-hmm. And Claude Julian was the coach there then at the time. And I had three, I played in three games. I had three goals, three assists, and three fights. So they signed me to a two-way between them and Columbus. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's the year during training camp, Montreal then joined Edmonton oh, okay. in Hamilton. So mm-hmm. then they started sending guys. So then at that point, I knew I was pretty much screwed. Uh, as I was um, say, that answers my question. How did you not get any games in Hamilton, but the split affiliations really screw guys over? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I was on fire there. I was like fourth. and At Christmas time, I was like fourth in the coast in scoring, and then I broke my thumb okay. in a second fight in a game. And I ended up, uh, I still led Columbus in goals that year and was second in points, and I missed 17 games. Well, and again, again, the, the running theme in this interview is that you were, again, a point-a-game player, 58 points, 58 games, uh, still kept the penalty minutes up, 229 minutes, and you played with a few guys I have to ask you about. Uh, one guy who, again, has Islander ties, he's a monster, Mitch Fritz. Yeah. What was yeah, it like so playing with Fritz? Fritz was a beauty. Um, when I was in Greenville, he was in Tallahassee. I think we might have t- tussled once. It was more like a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we played together in Columbus. And then the next year when I went to Greenville, I played against Columbus. And we had nobody. And they had, like, Ruben Nader. They had Fritzy. They had my boy, Carlisle Lewis. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were losing the bully. And it turned around. It was like, take my pick. Do I want Louie, my buddy? Do I want Ruben Nader? Or do I want Big Mitch? Mm-hmm. So I fought, uh, fought Fritzy. I just had to stay in tight with him, make sure he didn't let his six foot nine frame push me out. When uh, when you played with him, though, when he got his arm loose, did he just destroy guys? Yeah, he, he like he's another one that he was still growing. He still like hadn't been to a gym as much as what he should have. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, he wasn't like killer at the time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but when he did like use his size to his advantage, if he connected, man, it would it'd leave a mark. Yeah, I'd say so. And I was going to ask you also about Carlisle Lewis. Yeah, so Louis is uh, Louis and I lived together. We're like best friends. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We always uh, worked hard um, at the gym and at the house, and we uh, we lived for sure um, in the fast lane while we lived together. And, <laughs> He was definitely tough. He, he punched out a lot of heavies when I played with him down there. And, um, I wasn't, I was probably a good middleweight guy. He was like, he fought heavies, like mm -hmm. big dudes. Do you think uh, you guys got the residual guys that didn't want to fight uh, Fritz? Um, no. Well, Louis was probably our, t Louis, but then Louis and I were playing on a line, and he was getting points a lot. I got you. So, like, it was like he could pick his spots at that point where Fritzy, another guy, Mike Lee, mm -hmm. those guys wanted, like, Mike Lee wanted everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it was more so Louis, myself. Um, we kind of got guys that were just tired of getting body checked and scored on, and they started coming at us, right? Yeah. Um, so the following season... Um, you played for three teams in the coast. So the first team you played for was Peoria. Did you sign directly with Peoria, or that was another situation where you were property of a team and then you got sent to Peoria? No, signed, signed independently with Peoria. And uh, um, did you negotiate when, directly with Smurf? Yeah. Okay, how'd that go? Uh, well, he's, I got hosed over. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was okay there. And then ice time kind of dwindled a little bit, and I'm like nine games in, and then I got traded to Toledo, who just in turn t traded me to Greenville. Oh, um, so then I went back to Greenville, and then um, I was looking to get as much out of, out of me as what they could. So I ended up going to Johnstown because they were making a push in the north. And uh, Johnstown was fun. I had a lot of fun there. So uh, one guy I want to ask you about from Peoria. Uh, had Islander ties again, and, and he's pretty well known uh, with, amongst fight nerds like myself, is uh, Yabo Jeremy Oblonsky. Did you play with him? Yeah, so Yabo was there, and I was like, look at this monster. His <laughs> neck is, like, ginormous. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Yabo was, uh, he just, he was crazy. Um not a very good player at all, mm -hmm. but uh, but but he was strong and and loved the fight. So I was like, okay, this guy's nuts. <laughs> so when we talk about Johnstown, so I, I think a lot of times fans look at um, organizations differently than players do because for you guys it's a job, and say for you for uh, Johnstown was your employer. For someone like me, I think well, Johnstown it's kind of an iconic team. Does that ever come into play? Let's just say for you. So you're playing for Johnstown. Um, they're they're an iconic team, even though they're an East Coast League team. It's not like the Bruins or Montreal Canadiens or anything. But is it is it? Cool? I mean, in terms of obviously, you'd rather be NHL, AHL. But is it kind of cool to play for a team like Johnstown in the old barn and everything like that? Oh, absolutely. It's like you like blue collar. You know, like it's like you're with a bunch of good good hockey players and you're playing in like a hockey town hockey city hockey rink you know it's like having a six guy on the ice every time you're there yeah um you played with a couple of guys uh, a few guys that were pretty tough uh jeff sullivan 
uh, Richard Paul and uh, Brent Bilodeau. So you guys have no shortage of toughness if you throw yourself in there. Uh, any wild stories from your days with the Chiefs? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. We uh, we had down. Larry Corvo was there too. Larry Kachuk. Uh, yeah, we had uh, we had a half decent squad. Our reserve was there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, Johnstown was fun. It uh, we just got to play, you know. Yeah, you, you put your numbers back up there again. I see uh, twenty-one points, twenty-two games. So uh, again, it was just business as usual for you. Yeah. Um, so you were drafted. Uh, I don't know how much you uh, follow or know about the uh, Quebec League, uh, but I saw that you were drafted by Sorel Tracy. Uh, after that season, is that something that was ever a consideration for you to go up and play in the Quebec League? Yeah, so that year when I was in Greenville, they were offering like huge dough to go finish out the year there, and I just I never wanted to get involved with uh, with that whole kind of scheme that they had there. Yeah, it's one thing I just wanted to stay away from, and uh, yeah, I just stayed out of that. Oh, probably a good idea. I mean, I get some guys go up there and they live that life and they eat it up and, you know, but uh, I could definitely see just from some of the stories here why you wouldn't want to get involved in that, especially having a family and everything. Yeah, so. it's family more so. Yeah. Like a single guy giver. Yeah. Uh, family guy, no way. I got you. So it seems like the next two seasons, uh, in 04 05, you played some senior hockey. Is that the uh, Al- Alamer Blues? Alamer Blues, yep. So yeah. So played senior back home. Um, it was awesome. We had like a like a East Coast Hockey League All Star team. Yeah, uh, it was a good time. We uh, we lost the Thunder Bay in the finals uh, my first year, and then the second year I Elmer was gone, so I ended up just playing in the Allen Cup tournament for Trail Smoke, mm-hmm. Trail Smoke Eaters, and then um, <coughs> that was pretty much it for senior. Well, and for that uh, that uh, Allen Cup tournament that you played with trail uh if the numbers that i saw were correct uh how do you get 46 penalty minutes in four games uh there was definitely a couple tilts yeah um i think i even went into one of the quebec team's bench or there's the stands or something after a couple guys (laughs) so so what what was the reason why you um, you played senior for a couple of years as opposed to maybe going back to the coast? Was it just that you needed a break, or or what was the decision for that? No, it was more so just the family. I had, uh, so my year in Elmer, I had my third boy, and uh, it was time to try to stick around the kids more as they're entering school and all that kind of stuff. Oh, good. Well, that's, uh, that's the, probably the best reason of them all. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up. Then we ended up moving uh, back to Windsor, and uh, that's what got me into going back to Flint to play out of, after having two years in senior, because Flint, I commuted, which was uh, Flint to Windsor was like an hour and 15-minute, hour and 20-minute commute each way. Now, didn't you originally sign with Port Huron? <laughs> it was uh, uh, Port Huron. Port Huron traded me to Flint. Yeah. Like, didn't play a game in Port Huron. They traded me right. Flint, played in Flint. And then at the end of that year, I got my rights traded to Port Huron. And then I stayed the next year and a half in Port Huron. And then at the deadline, I got traded back to Flint. And then I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Is Port Huron also with driving distance? Oh, yeah. It was like 15 minutes closer. Oh, okay. 
Well, so it was better. Uh, my second year in Port Huron, uh, the house was gone in Windsor. Um, our family, we, uh, is now Max, wife, uh, went back to Stratford. So, um, off time, I would, I would go from Port Huron to Stratford, which was like an hour and 15 minutes away and uh, hang out with the boys and go to my hometown with my parents and all that kind of stuff. Oh, nice. When, when you uh, played in Flint that first year, you played for uh, a guy who's renowned uh, in the minor leagues for his penalty minototals, Kevin Kerr. What was that like? Yeah, Kersey was uh, uh, like a kamikaze on the bench. Yeah. He like he was more passionate than three-quarters of our team. So <laughs> um, we got along okay. He treated me like an assistant coach, and I was in on every meeting and had beers with him as much as possible. But at the same time, like had to respect him as a coach and not just like a a buddy or a teammate you know mm-hmm. uh probably the again like you had said before the the record keeping especially for uh some of the minor leagues is not the best uh the biggest name of the fights that i see saw that you had that year with flint was against uh frank littlejohn of elmira do you remember that one yeah yeah frankie was on me and on me to scrap and i didn't want to fight this little peckerhead and <laughs> finally I did and I tied up his left and he couldn't get free and he was more concerned about not getting free than, than just chucking and I think we just threw a couple punches each it was no big deal get the five minutes and away we go uh, and then the following season like you said you end up in Port Huron again like I said the, the, it's amazing to me that you know you really were it really is a shame the injuries you had because I really would have loved to see what you could have done uh, I mean obviously I wish you would have stayed with the Islanders but you know, between your your point per game player, and I know I've said that a million times in the interview, so I hope you're not sick of hearing that. But uh, you know, you mix it up, you score on all these points. Again, Port here on 66 points, 71 games, um, 128 penalty minutes. Now, if I'm not mistaken, if I read this right, your player, a teammate of yours, was also a player assistant coach Robert Snowball, and uh, I know that name because he went to training camp at least one year with the Flyers. Yeah. Uh, how is he? Yeah, Snowy was uh, a roommate of mine. He came in and lived in uh, one of the bedrooms of the house that they had for me there. Yeah. Um, he was a good teammate. He would uh, he would grab whoever and, and throw down. Um, he just basically was playing hockey to have some fun while he was still single before uh, getting in to do his firefighting. Okay. And I, I saw there's a bunch of guys that you fought that year. Uh, a lot of names I'm not familiar with, but one name that I am familiar with is, is someone you fought in the playoffs, and you actually had a two-fight game. Uh, you fought uh, Chris Millette and uh, I guess his teammate Jordan Fox. Do you remember anything about that? Yeah, those uh, those guys were like, they were buggers to play against. Um, Millette was their captain, so he came at me and we fought whatever. Foxy, uh, I played with him in Flint the year before. And uh, I just ran, ran him hard, and we ended up fighting. But uh, that year against Flint, I probably fought every game against somebody. Yeah. Um, same like when, when I was in Flint and we played against Port Huron, I fought somebody almost every time. And and I bet you uh, laughed about it when it was over. Oh yeah, a lot of yeah. that. Well, then I get traded back to Flint when I ended. Right, Millet is uh, still there. And, <coughs> um. We became friends, and he's doing really well right now with coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so you go back, you're still in Port Huron in 08, 09. Uh, Snowball's still there. Um, probably the, the name, the biggest name guy I, that, I, that I'm that i aware of, well, there's two. Uh, Jason Beckett, who I guess was with Fort Wayne at the time, and Rob Volterra. Yeah. Well, again, Flint, uh, Volterra and Flint. Do you remember those scraps? Yeah, uh, Beckett, I remember everybody saying how tough this guy was and uh, didn't know he was a lefty either. Um so I had to change up a couple punches in. He he was pretty tough. <clears throat> um, that was a good fight. I broke my fi- uh, one of my fingers fighting him. Okay. And uh, Volt was uh, definitely a strong Western kid. Yeah. Um, he got me at the end of a shift, uh, right in tight along a, a net. So our fight didn't last very long. Um, so I was more so tired than anything. But mm-hmm. I just hired. Uh, I just hired. Uh, uh, Rob Voltaire's brother Rick to be one of our coaches for our hockey team this year. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so oh, kind of a cool. small world there. Well, definitely one thing I've noticed is the hockey world is very small. It's it's uh, you never. It seems like you don't ever want to burn bridges because you know, ten, fifteen years later, you might run into someone's brother or you might run into that same guy. Yeah, that's right. You know. Uh, and then finally, your le- the last part of your last season, you were back with Flint. And uh, someone that we've already mentioned, Frank Littlejohn, was uh, was your teammate there. Yeah, and Volts and Millette, and oh, yeah. uh, Dan McNeil, and yeah, it just never ended. Was it fun um, playing with those guys? Yeah, it was. We had a lot of fun. We just went out, played hard. Uh, you know, there was sometimes in the dressing room or on the bench, we'd just be like, all right, let's go. And everybody would just pair up with somebody, and away we went. And were you a player assistant coach for that, uh, for Flint? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. was that your first go around as a coach? No, well, with Kersey a couple of years before, I kind of was, and then Port here on my second year, um, not so much on title, but yeah. but kind of was. Um, that's kind of how it stands, really. I kind of blindsided me with the trade back to Flint, but then that's uh, Bobby Reynolds was the coach. He was my teammate a couple of years before that, mm-hmm. um, so then I became player assistant there, and and yeah. It was it was fun. So, uh, how did you get involved with uh, the London Lakers? If I'm not mistaken, you originally the plan wasn't to buy the team, correct? You were going to go there to coach, or how did that yeah. whole thing come about? Yeah. So, like five, six years ago, I was hired to be the head coach in April, and then uh, come August, the owner was uh, we're going to put the team up for sale. Uh, we're, we have shares in six other teams and across three different leagues, and we're going to sell all of our teams and just concentrate on our marketing business. Uh, so Julie and I were like, well, we put a lot of time and effort into this, so we're taking over the team then. Uh, so we took over the team, purchased the team, and uh, this fall will be our sixth year with uh, having the Lakers Tier 2 Junior A team. And um, were you... You were not, were you or were you not originally the GM also? Um, well, we never really, I think our first year, I don't know if we really had a title or not. I had a yeah. couple guys that helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty much every year I've been head coach and GM and owner and pretty much everything. And um, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go. Oh, I just, uh, it's now it's, we're, we're an established program. And uh, we moved the team out of London. We're in a smaller town called Plattsville now, which is like 15 minutes outside of Woodstock where we live. And uh, a lot of hockey guys in this area um, 
we've always had an open door for people to help and this year we got like uh, overload of coaches and people that want to step up and help so uh, we just brought on um, Wade Club who is a teammate of mine in Erie and Neil um, who's won a couple of Southern Cups in championships and stuff at junior B level he's coming in to be head coach and then Bolt's Rob Voltaire's brother and another former player Vince Robbins they're coming on as assistants and then we have uh, a former D that played in the league and played for those guys as a scout another guy from Waterloo area as a scout and then we hired a, a former girl goalie as a scout as well nice and then and then I have uh Another young guy that's helped at junior C level and, and scouting for a little bit of tier two junior A and B um, that I'm bringing on as an assistant GM so I can kind of get him in with uh, the we like to run our team and then once he then I can just step back and just be an owner. So because you you are coaching these young kids. Is a, a place like Plattsville uh, probably a better environment than uh, than London? Do you say because it sounds like it's a smaller town? Yeah, so it's smaller town, so we definitely have uh, the community support, and we haven't played a game yet yet there, but we've sold more ticket uh, seasons tickets there in probably our five years in London combined. Oh wow! Um, so we'll have like we average probably. On a good night, 65 game, 65 fans a game in London. Mm-hmm. Where in Plattsville we have a 300 seat arena, um, 120 uh, Blue Line Club, like a bar area for 120 people and probably 100 people in the lobby. So out of like 500, we have over 200 seasons tickets sold right now. So out of about a max of 500 we're probably going to be averaging in the three to 400 range which is awesome yeah it sounds great um what has that whole experience been like for you uh you know going in taking over as owner i i assume it must be a 24 hour a day job yeah it's 365 or 360 days a year as well mm-hmm. um it, it's been rewarding it's fun it uh it does get tiresome it can be a headache um but just the hockey bug is in us right so we're always got to be a part of uh you know opening doors for kids and it's trying to teach them and mature them from a boy to a man and get them prepared for you know a scholastic dream or a chance at a, a pro at at some level using our connections and tell me about 54 hockey incorporated so 54 obviously was my number in pro, um, so we we just used that with uh, 54 Hockey Inc. Um, started our business um, with our business name. Um, obviously we run uh, different camps and clinics, um, hosted a couple Southern Pro Hockey League camps, pre-agent camps, that kind of stuff. Um, it also opens up doors with our European connections to hopefully one day be able to to go to some of these places where we brought kids over from and, and do some kind of a collaboration with uh, uh, free agent camps or junior hockey schools and that kind of thing. That's great. So um, I don't think I have any more questions for you. So the one question I always ask everybody is, uh, did I miss anything? Or do you have any uh, stories that I didn't uh, I didn't jog your memory on? Or, or uh, did I pretty much cover it all? 
Uh, I think you pretty much got it all. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, I kind of have the last laugh with the whole Mike Milbury thing because his daughter Allison went to Brown University in Providence when I played there, and there was a few nights where we threw back some shots and uh, had some fun. Oh. <laughs> well, that is certainly interesting, and I bet you did get the last laugh. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Well, good for you. <laughs> well, Jeff, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you know, I'm happy to call you a friend and everything. And uh, I, I just hope, I wish you nothing but success in uh, Plattsville and everything else you do going forward, man. Thank you very much. Right on. Thanks for having me. And uh, any of your followers can be my followers and vice versa. And hopefully everybody stays safe and comes out winning. Yeah, for sure. All right, Jeff, have a great night. Thank you. All right, bye now. Thanks again to Jeff Zare for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, I love when I hear stories from these guys that totally blow me away. And honestly, the way Jeff put the exclamation point on that interview uh, is going to be tough to top for any of my future guests that come on. That was pretty amazing. So, uh, Jeff, thanks again for coming on, and uh, I hope I did your career some justice. And best of luck in Plattsville this uh, upcoming season. Uh, as far as next week goes, if everything goes right, and again, that's always a big if, uh, I'll have longtime Islander defensive standout Richie Pilon on the show. And uh, Richie, obviously, if you're an Islander fan, you're well aware of his exploits. And, um, you know, we'll touch on everything from his fights to his rivalry with Eric Lindros. Uh, and even we'll get into playing for the hated Rangers uh, towards the end of his career. So, uh, Hopefully that, uh, that'll happen for you next week. And um, other than that, I hope everyone has a great week and stay safe, everybody. Have a great day.